Welcome to The Journey, a podcast series by Christ Life Ministries, focused on renewing, restoring, and equipping leaders. Well, welcome. It's good to be with you. I, I keep on wanting to say it's good to see you, but obviously I can't. But it's almost as if you're walking in the door of, of the Christ Life office, and we get to meet week after week after week. Thanks for all the encouragement that's pouring in regarding these podcasts. The thing that excites my heart is that it seems that you're just as excited about engaging your healing journey, just as excited about uh, learning how to give renewal and restoration away to the people that are in your spheres of influence as I am. And so let's, as we always do, just bow our head, bow our hearts before God and just ask him to just infuse this time, fill this time with himself. And God, we bow before you. We recognize your presence. We just uh, confess your bow to your sovereignty. And we're asking because you're the only one that can change a life. Lord, just just consider our, our state, our woeful state before you that we're dust and dust will return, and yet you have spoken into the very depths of who we are and transformed dust into the children of the Almighty. (laughs) What a good God you are. We're so grateful for you. Change us and we'll be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey. We have a whole lot to make our way into today, and as we always do, we want to recap some of what we hit the last time we were together, so we're going to do that, but again, just the vision of what we're doing with the Journey Podcast, we want to have living room conversations, simple, safe let your hair down, put your feet up on the ottoman type of conversations regarding healing, regarding uh, what it means to experience the renewal of God. Uh, We want those to turn into real practical forms of equipping so that you could even uh, go back through these podcasts and have a real good sense of where you could Go with the people that come to you that need help, that need renewal, that need restoration. So let's just do a little recap. Last week, we were continuing in week two of the journey, the, 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 hitting the, the reality, the, the, the need that we all have to escape, to come out of our chaos into the presence of the true Jesus. Now, last week, we, if you'll remember, focused first on the influence of the kingdom of darkness because, quite frankly, not only do we experience pressure from trying to live according to the patterns of this world and all of our, the cacophony of all of our unprocessed wounds, distortions, disruptive emotion, and dysfunctional lifestyle choices, along with the roles that we play in life, but we also have this undue pressure, combat, if you will, 
that we all experience with the kingdom of darkness. We started that portion last week with a quote from Watchman Nee, where he basically relayed to us that, that the enemy isn't primarily focused on getting us to do something particularly sinful, but to move us towards living independently from God, the unaided life. The second quote was from Jonathan Edwards in his book, Religious Affections, where he basically said this, that the primary goal of the enemy, because he can't read our hearts, is to use our imaginations to create distorted, inflated perspectives of concrete reality, that he would create or form distorted lenses. We relayed that to our conversations weeks ago about how unprocessed wounds do the same. And then finally, we talked about diversions, and we used a C.S. Lewis quote, beginning to wade into the reality that many of the passions, the games, the pastimes that we have in life, if not kept in check, can stuff us so full that we have no more room for God, uh, uh, knowing God at a deeper level, and also discovering who we truly are. So as we left the conversation about the kingdom of darkness, we began to talk about how we can exit, we can leave chaos and enter into the presence of the true Jesus. Do you remember? We talked about Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm just going to give you the main points. Number one, to leave our chaos, we've got to truly come to him. We turn to many different things in life, all of which pale in comparison to the real-life help, the life-changing help of the living God. We must first come to him. Number two is that we've got to look at the way that we've done life and admit that it has not worked, that we're weary and heavy laden as a result of doing life independently in many different ways from God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're totally disconnected from him. Uh, life is a percentages game, isn't it? We can pray. We can spend time with Jesus. We can even be engaged in an occupation full-time, some full-time ministry position, and yet still be trying to use Jesus as a means to our own end. So really, we've got to come and say, hey, the the fruitless, the broken, the damaged, the performance-oriented, the approval-dependent aspects of our lives, all are areas that represent my own effort. I've got to admit that that's been wearying. It's created a heavy yoke, and I need to leave it. Number three is related to the yoke of Jesus, that the yoke that Jesus offers us is his yoke, and it was a light yoke. And we discovered through passages like John 5.19 that the reason why Jesus was able to have a light yoke was because he was in complete submission, surrender to his Father. He didn't pick up the weight of his mission on earth. It was all the Father's to carry and so his responsibility was simply to, to keep his gaze fixed on his father. 
and to just do what his father told him to do, speak the messages that the father conveyed to him, to do the miracles that God empowered him to do. And and that was it. Now, you could say that Jesus carried the biggest responsibility of any man in any era, and in saying that, you would be correct in some ways, except for what we're getting at is that he didn't carry it. He lived, he modeled for us the very essence of New Testament life. That's what God is calling us to do, to bow down before him, recognize that the, that the calling that he's put on our lives is unobtainable in our unaided or through our independent lives that God must do the work. We, Galatians 2.20, must die to our own self-effort and allow Christ to live in us. Well, where does that leave us? Last week we said that there are four major points that we need to get in play, four things that need to be uh, engaged for us to properly, effectively leave chaos and enter the presence of the true Jesus. The fourth is really represents God's main point, the thing that he's leading us to. We've got to come to him. We've got to admit that what we've tried to do is hasn't worked. We have to admit, confess our inability to do anything on our own. And finally, number four, is that we need to embrace John 15 abiding relationship with Jesus. This is John 15, 5. Think about this just for a moment. These are the very words of Jesus. Kind of like a, a curator, like going into a museum and seeing Mozart's piano. <laughs> and you could sit and say, or stand there uh, behind the bulletproof glass and say, he actually sat there and played this piano. John 15, 5 is exactly that. These are the very words of Jesus. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we escape chaos and are moved by God to engage, to enter into his true presence, we must realize that what he's moving us to isn't some type of quiet time. Now, don't get me wrong. In all the reading that I've done, all the study on the abiding life, I've never found an author, someone who was used dynamically by God to shape his or her generation, who didn't start engaging the abiding life by setting aside an ever-increasing amount of time to do nothing other than engage God, to, to, to lift their gaze upon God, which is what we're going to talk about in just a moment. Unless we're willing to set aside time to purposefully get our gaze, our hearts off of the chaos and onto the face of Jesus, onto Jesus himself, uh, 
bowing down before him, uh, learning to rest, learning to relinquish control, learning to to lean on him. Uh, We're never going to do anything other than chaos. So we're going to lean into two word pictures. Both of them are biblically based to help us understand a little bit more of what God might be moving us into when he calls us to John 15 abiding relationship. The first is found right in this passage, that Jesus in describing branch life, which, by the way, we don't have time for it in this episode, but look at Zechariah 3.8. Jesus was named by his father, the servant, the branch. I mean, that's so amazing. It makes me want to stand up and shout, (laughs) although that might not be all that enjoyable uh, for you to hear me shout into the microphone. But Jesus lived the branch life long before he ever called us to be branches. You see, the essence of life is not this devotional rhythm where, in fact, I, I, (laughs) I can remember looking through the used book section in a Christian bookstore in Portland when I stumbled on this book. Now, don't quote me on the title, because I know I'm not getting it right, but it was something like the five-minute devotional life for busy Christian professionals. (laughs) And the whole idea was because people are so caught up in their chaos, they need to spend time with Jesus, they just don't have time to. (laughs) Well, that is not branch life. Of course, as we're looking... (laughs) At John 15, 5, Jesus has chosen the imagery purposefully. That if we're to look at life with him, it can't be sequestered off to 7.45 to 8, somewhere between taking a shower and working out and getting in the car and leaving for work. That real life with him is designed to be as intimate and continuous as a branch engrafted into its vine. That God would have this life that he wants us to live grow to the point where it it creeps its way into everything that we do. Now, this also shouldn't be a, a source of condemnation for all of us, myself included, that that are far from living every moment of our day in a tangible sense of the presence, uh, the nearness of God. That there are going to be different seasons that we're in that are more difficult. There are going to be seasons where we experience the, 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 the grace and the, the favor of God, and there are going to be seasons where we're living broken out of our brokenness, where we have opportunities just to return to God and return to abiding relationship. So no condemnation here. But God is calling us much more than to just some (laughs) five-minute devotional exercise. He wants us to make our home with him. Frederick Bruner, in a commentary that he's written on John, uh, the book of John, says just that. When we look at the word remain in the English language, That word is immediately attached to past experiences. You know, for me, it would be like being invited over to someone's home that we really care about. And we're having a great time, 
great food, great conversation. I look down at the watch and it's 10 o'clock. Now we've got two teenage boys. One of them's probably out and about. <laughs> the other one's uh, more a guy that likes to hang out around home. And Allie and I, in that moment, would look at each other and think, man, we got to get home to that guy. But because the conversation is so rich, as we're getting up to leave, our hosts say, oh, please stay just a little bit longer. What about just 30 minutes? Can you call Elias and see if he's okay? And of course, because we're having such a great time, we'll call him up, find out everything's great, and stay. Well, the Greek word meno, which is translated remain or abide, means much more than that. The intent of the word is that we would understand that at the heart of the abiding life is an invitation by God to make our home with him. That instead of just bringing hors d'oeuvres over to someone's home and staying longer than we should, Jesus is inviting us to pack our bags, sell our old home, and move in with him. That, that he so desires us to be near him that we would leave behind life as we've known it and embark on something new. In fact, that's the invitation that we see in John 15, 4, where it says, as I remain in you, remain in me. I mean, think about that for a second. What Jesus is saying is, to the level that I've made the ultimate commitment to, to make my home in you, to come and, and reside in the depths of your true identity, this, as Ephesians 3 would say, reign in your hearts through faith, that, that he reigns in, in this place that he's made for himself in us. He says, in the same way that I've actually taken the first step and made that commitment to you, I want you to also know that it's my desire that you make that commitment with me, that you would be as connected as a branch to the vine with me. That's the first word picture that we need to lean into to understand John 15 and abiding life. The second we're taking out of Luke eleven thirty four. If you have a Bible, just open up there. Now, I just want to be very clear about this. This, this passage that I'm going to read, this verse that I'm going to read, is a reworking out of the original language, but it was so helpful to me to understand what Luke was getting at in this passage. I want to, I want to replay it. I want to present it to you in the way that it, it affected me. Luke 11.34 says this, The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is, now get this, Single and simple, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is full of labor, annoyances, and hardship, your body will be full of darkness. Do you get that? Do you see how that ties into where we've been on this second leg of the journey with our chaos? Could it be that simple that the darkness and difficulty that we experience is directly as a result of where our gaze has been set? We're fixated on chaos, and so we have darkness flooding our lives. 
On the other hand, we have this opportunity, this invitation to John 15 abiding relationship where our gaze more and more and more can be set in a simple and a singular way on him. Do you see if we would allow God to do in us what he wants to do? It doesn't mean that we move off and become hermits. It just means that we begin to live the very essence of branch life. Where even as we're going about our day, more of our attention is fixed on God and fixed on, intent on hearing his voice, understanding his will, and then accomplishing that will during those moments, which quite frankly might seem rather mundane. Might be driving your car, might be shopping for your wife or for your husband. But regardless of the moment, whether it's a intense, life-shaping opportunity or a boring, mundane moment, imagine how our lives would change if we began to learn how to relinquish control to God and fix our gaze on him. The text tells us that our lives would be flooded with light. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. Our lives would be flooded with him. I think similarly to how Jesus' life was flooded with his Father. You see, that's the essence of John 15, branch life. Do you see how the text paints a very different picture than what I, what we often grow up believing life is about, that, that God has called us into meno, into, into making our home. He's sent the invitation, come and make your home with me. And making our home with him involves a gaze, a, 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 our eyes fixed on Jesus not out of this performance working and striving, but the natural byproduct of abiding would be that our gaze would be fixed on him more and more and more. Our lives would be flooded with light, uh, that we'd leave the days of a life that's flooded with darkness more and more behind us. That's abiding relationship. That's what God's calling us out of chaos into. And that, my friends is hugely encouraging. It's almost as if we've tried to do this Christian life with our gaze fixed on chaos, and it just hasn't worked. God is inviting us into his home, not just to stay longer than we should, but to live with him and to have our gaze, like David in Psalm 27, man. Oh, the one thing I ask, and this is what I seek, to, to dwell in your house <laughs> and, and gaze upon you. I think the text says, and to gaze upon your beauty. That's the abiding life. I mean, David had it. He, he, he was tasting it. And as a result, he said, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Oh, as the deer panteth after streams of living water. So my soul panteth after thee. Oh my gosh, it's so good, God. Praise you. 
as you're working with someone, journeying with someone, or just engaging your own healing journey, it's important to get something practical in this moment injected into the conversation. What does this look like? I mean, in some ways, as you're reading works that have been written by men and women who just intimately walked with God, I at least have found that it's hard to find an on-ramp onto their experience. It's almost like they're so far ahead of where I am, at least. Maybe not you. (laughs) Maybe you should be doing the podcast. (laughs) But at least for me, I feel like they're so ahead of me. I don't know how to get, I can't find the on-ramp. It's just like a freeway with no way to get on it. Uh, their lives are so elevated. It's difficult to imagine how they transition from where I am to where they are currently. Let me give you a simple on-ramp to a deeper life with God. Uh, We call it the simple practice of laying down and lifting up. Let's first talk about what it means to lay our lives, the content of our lives, before God. Hebrews 4 is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Towards the end of that passage, we see Jesus unveiled as the sympathetic, the empathy-filled high priest. That because he was tested and tempted in every way that we are, he has a heart that understands our plight. He's had passions burning in his own body, and though he resisted them and did not sin, he understands temptation. He understands heartache. He understands travail. He understands loss. And those things have made him sympathetic to our plight. And so Hebrews 4 gives us this great invitation. The author says this, Let us then approach this throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, let's just talk about grace. Grace, of course, is the unmerited favor of God. But the definition of grace that has been most helpful to me is grace is God doing something for me that I don't have to get my life polished up and perfect to experience grace. Grace is actually a gift from God. The book of Ephesians teaches us, so no one can boast. So could it be that we could inject that definition into this passage, that we should approach the throne of, I will do it for you, so that we might receive mercy, And God lifting the burdens, doing the work that's necessary for us to experience help, healing, escape. The Bible wouldn't exhort us to approach a throne of, I will do it for you, if there wasn't such a throne. And so at the very heart of this simple practice of laying down, we need to understand first and foremost, that much of our disruptive emotion, although we've already learned that it has its roots in our unprocessed wounds and distortions, 
the expression or the experience of this disruptive emotion is also as a result of us carrying things that God never designed us to carry. I don't know if you've ever damaged your back, hurt your back, blown out your back by lifting something that's too heavy, maybe helping somebody move, <laughs> which has been my story. And that back, your back can just get pulled and you got to drop what's in your hands. You fall under the ground and, and then it's sometimes days, if not weeks of recovery. Could it be that the intensity of some of our disruptive emotion is a direct result of us just simply carrying things that God never designed us to carry? They were designed to be carried by our true vine. And yet we're bearing the load, kind of like winters in Michigan. We'll have limbs snap off our white pine trees in the backyard every year because they carry load. They were never designed to carry. Could it be, again, that our difficulty is that simple? We got our gaze on our chaos, and we're carrying things independently from God we are never designed to carry. So what would happen if we, when we became aware of disruptive emotion bubbling up in our lives, the anxiety, the fear, we stop looking at that as as identity, like I'm just anxious or I'm just afraid. And we began to see, well, maybe this fear and anxiety, maybe this depression in some ways is as a result of me carrying things that God's never designed me to carry. So what do we do? The next time that we find ourselves in a place of feeling a rush of disruptive emotion, being triggered, if you will, let's practice coming before the Hebrews 4 throne of grace in prayer and laying down what we're experiencing. Here are the simple steps to being able to learn, to form a habit of of coming to God in those types of circumstances. Number one, I carefully, presidentially extract myself out of the moment that's triggering me. I mean, we all can take a step out of a meeting to go to the bathroom where we can, uh, if we're at home alone, it's much easier, isn't it? We just get up and and change the room that we're in, uh, leave the room that we're in, change what we're doing, and turn our hearts to God in prayer. Start by praying through the steps that we've talked about these past two weeks of leaving chaos and entering the presence of the true Jesus. Just say to him, God, I'm coming to you. Where else can I go? Number two, God, I've tried to fix these things on my own in the past, and it's left me weary and heavy laden. I desperately need you. Number three, God, I have absolutely no ability to do this on my own. I'm completely unable to do this apart from you. Don't forget that that I was made from dust, and dust I'll return. Come and and work in me, God. Change me. Now, boldly approach the Hebrews 4 throne of, I will do it for you. And be specific about what you're experiencing presently. 
It might be anxiousness. It might be fear. It might be uh, terror. It might be melancholy, hopelessness. Bring that with whatever awareness you have of the distortion that's underneath it. And it might sound something like this. Here's the distortion. God, I've always believed that I would be alone. I'm alone and will always be alone. And right now, that distortion is causing me to feel tremendously insecure, afraid, and anxious. Do you get it? So you bring uh, the, the issue that you're struggling with, feeling, to that throne of I will do it for you in prayer. And what do you do with it? You leave it at Jesus' feet. You just say, I, I just surrender this to you entirely. And finally, what I've begun to do in my own prayer life is then, after laying down what I'm burdened with and leaving it with Jesus, I'll say to him in prayer, and God, I ask you for one thing, and that is that you would be my only portion, that I could dwell with you in the here and now and in the ages to come, in your house. Dwell with you all the days of my life and to gaze upon you, Lord. Lift my gaze upon you. Some of the sweetest times of consolation, of comfort and deep satisfaction in prayer have come after asking, really laying down all that I've sought and and, and really strived after in my own strength and choosing to reject those things that I might have the greatest of all gifts, and that's Jesus. I, I often will sense that he whispers to me, you've chosen wisely, and you will receive what you ask of me. I'm going to give you one more very important piece this practice of laying down. It has to do with expectation. Philippians 4, 6 is such a powerful passage in this regard. It says this, In everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, offer your requests before God. And what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It was about 10 years ago. I was getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning. I'd put in tons of hours, over 20 hours on this message. And I just had this sense that it, I, it was just off. It's 5 p.m. on Saturday night. I went into the office and I was just praying. I was full of anxiousness and fear. And I held before God that passage that I just quoted and said, God, I've been praying I've been thanking you. I've been petitioning you. But your perfect peace seems as far away as the moon is from the earth. It's far removed from me. And, and I can remember humbly and yet uh, with passion saying, God, your promises are either designed to be experienced or this whole thing is hogwash. Kind of like you give us promises that are pie in the sky. That Kind of like if you aim for the stars, you'll at least hit the moon. So I said, God, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would answer 
this prayer of mine and grant me my desire. And so I said, I began to pray again. I could still remember where I was standing in the office. I said, God, I thank you for your kindness and your nearness. I petition you for your very clear direction for tomorrow. Shape what you need to shape. Cut out what you need to cut out. I'm calling out to you for this congregation, Lord, not for my own good or my own development of value, but for their hearts and their lives. Would you come and guide me? I can remember this moment again like it was yesterday. And I said, now I ask you according to your word for perfect peace. Replace my anxiousness with your peace. I gotta tell you, not more than two seconds later, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I felt the John 7 rivers of God's living water wash through me, take away my anxiousness, and flood me with peace. I felt that on my knees, just tears in my eyes. And it became very clear to me how many years I had spent praying up prayers and holding God's word before him, but really never trusting or expecting that he would answer those prayers and give me what he promised. As we find ourselves in the midst of chaos this next week, come to God. Admit that what you've tried in the past to do independently has left you weary and heavy laden. Admit your total inability before him. And then engage in packing up your bags and making Jesus your home. Practice that. Practice coming before the Hebrews 4 throne of I will do it for you. Anytime you're aware of your disruptive emotion, get up and in prayer approach that throne. Lay those things down before Jesus' feet. Ask him for nothing other than for him to become your portion in life. And then believe that it is God's desire, that his promises are experienced by you. His dearly loved, highly valued, cherished son or daughter. Would you pray with me? God, we just bow before you. You promise that the Holy Spirit was sent to lead us into all truth. I'm asking simply and humbly that you would lead us into, that you would draw into us, that you would plant securely in our hearts the truth that we've journey through today I'm asking that you would allow great awakening to occur in the lives of the men and women who have listened to this podcast that this would be a divine encounter, a meeting with you their lives would shift, there would be change, there would be hope sunlight the first rays of sun shining into the valley of their darkness. 
pray that you would guard over every man and woman listening to this podcast from the attacks of the kingdom of darkness. You'd show them a way of escape. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.